beautiful daf ahead of us today. And what a schos to be able to learn the daf on Yom Yerushalayim. Kimitzion, Teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. We know that Chazal teach us that the Shefa of Torah, the energy of Torah, it comes down from Shamayim through Yerushalayim, and then it spreads out to the rest of the world from there. That's why, because you ever think about it, what do you mean, Kimitzion, Teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim? What do you mean? Why, why, why only Mitzion? Torah comes from everywhere. We learn Torah here, Baruch Hashem, every single day. Again, we're in Galus, we're in Baltimore, we learn Torah every day. What do you mean, Because the energy of Torah comes down from Shamayim through Yerushalayim and is then dispersed to Arba Kanfos to the four corners of the world. And I will say, the schus that we have, therefore, is every piece of Torah that we learn is really Torah Seret Yisrael. Is really Torah's Yerushalayim, which is really an incredible piece. We only think that we're connected to Yerushalayim when we travel there, when we, when, we, when we have the privilege to be able to set foot there. But the truth is, every single time a Jew learns Torah, by definition, I am connecting with Yerushalayim. And the fact that on this day we get to celebrate the reunification of Yerushalayim, we get to celebrate, the first of all, the Yad Hashem, the incredible divine providence that allowed Yerushalayim once again to be under Jewish control, the incredible Nesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice, that allowed Yerushalayim to be under Jewish control. It's, it's a nice nigla. That's why we say halal, it's a nice nigla. It's, it's an absolute, unequivocal miracle. And I will say there are miracles all around us every day. But there are some miracles that are wonderful for us as individuals and some miracles which forever change the trajectory of the Jewish people. And the truth is, the reunification of Yerushalayim was one of those that fits into the latter categories. A nace, a miracle, that we know Baruch Hashem brings us a number of steps closer to Mashiach and Amir Hashem to the incredible Geula. So on this day, we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving us a beautiful Eretz Yisrael, a beautiful Yerushalayim. We thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the fact that every single time we are Zohar to learn Torah, we are Zohar to connect to the Torah of Tzion, to the Torah, Torah, to the Torah of Yerushalayim, and we hope that as we celebrate this great miracle on Yom Yerushalayim, that Amir Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will see fit to bring the greatest miracle of Mashiach Imhir Rabbi Amenu. Amen. Let's say we thank our sponsors for this morning. Shir, we thank the Ehrenfeld Mishpacha for dedicating all the Sherman Drushos this month in memory of Yona's grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron, Benjamin and Elise Wall for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in memory of Moshe Chaim Ben Tzvi Hirsch. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families in Nechama. And I will say with that, let us begin. The beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. I want to thank you, Bruvain Venik, for giving shir here at the shul yesterday. So I will say today's daf is Pei Gimel, 83. And we are picking up. We're going to pick up Emir Hashem. The last two words of Pei Beis, Amud Beis, going on to Pei Gimel. Amarav. So Rav says as follows. So I will say, remember again, towards the end of yesterday's daf, we looped back into the topic of androgynous. Right? And the status of androgynous. And I will say, I think we would all agree, one of the most shocking revelations, shocking Dachyomi revelations, right, over the last couple of days is we've gone through my whole, I've gone through my whole life thinking, well, not my whole life, for the last seven and a half years since we lasted this dot, right, but, but a good chunk of my life, right, going, thinking about the fact that everyone agrees that androgynous is Suffolk, Suffolk Zachar, Suffolk Nekeva. And now we're suddenly being reintroduced to the idea that no, there is a school of thought who see androgynous as Vadai Zohar. Vadai Zohar. And in fact, that view is really codified in our Mishnah, because the Mishnah itself seems to indicate that 
An androgynous is l'chatchila permitted to go in and marry a woman. And now, and v'haraya, if a man tries to marry an androgynous, that is an isedaraisa mishkav zacher. So ultimately, we see this brand new school of thought. So the Gemara goes weiter. Amarav. Lessa lemasnitsin mikamei b'raisa, top of, top of pei gimel. So we'll say, listen to this. So comes along Rav, and Rav says, the Mishnah, the Mishnah is kind of set aside in the face of the b'raisa. Now we'll say, just so we get, we didn't do the b'raisa yet, but what's the Mishnah? The Mishnah we're referring to over here is Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi's opinion where he says that if an androgynous Kohen marries Abbas Yisrael, he entitles her to eat truma. To eat truma, which, which essentially says, therefore, that an androgynous is a man, androgynous is a man, and therefore his kiddushin, his marriage, is a valid marriage, and he entitles his wife to go ahead and eat truma. So Rav comes along and says, by the way, this, this, the Mishnah is set aside in the face of a brisa. There's a brisa that contradicts the Mishnah, and the brisa is going to be considered to be more authoritative. Okay, what's the brisa? Here we go. The sign of Yossi Omer, androgynous beria atzmahu. An androgynous, Rabbi Yossi says, an androgynous is its own entity. It's not a man, it's not a woman, it's in its own burial. And the Chachamim have never determined whether or not the androgynous is a Zohar or in the Keva. So we'll say, so look what's happened. The Brisa contradicts the Mishnah. Like, because Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah says that an androgynous is what? Is what? Zohar, is a man. The Brisa comes along and says an androgynous is what? Suffolk. 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 So therefore, Rav comes along and says, the Brisa is more authoritative than the Mishnah, and the Brisa sets aside the Mishnah. Mar says, okay, Adarab, why do you say that? I guess it's just the opposite. What's that again? That's not how this works. So remember again, a Brisa and a Mishnah are both Mishnah teachings. Where are lies there seen a Brisa and a Mishnah? A, bri- all right, a Mishnah was incorporated by Rabbi Huda Hanasi, to be part of the body of Torah Shebaal Peh. A Braisa was not, which by definition means a Mishnah is almost always more authoritative than a Braisa. So if you have a contradiction between a Mishnah and a Braisa, which one should win? Which one should win? The Mishnah. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. Rabbi Yossi Lebar Shmamina Haderbe. Rabbi Yossi, this is actually very interesting. So what was Rav picking up on? See, Rabbi Yossi, if you go back to the Mishnah, our Mishnah over here, the Mishnah quoted that Rabbi Shimon was saying, sorry, Rabbi Yossi was saying this in conjunction with Rabbi Shimon. Right? It was Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon hold that if an androgynous, right, an androgynous marries, uh, an androgynous Kohen marries Abbas Yisrael, he entitles her to eat truma. So you have two of them, Right? In the, interesting, in the Brisa, in the Brisa, it was just Rabbi Yossi. The, so we'll say, how, how do you, how do you, and, and again, obviously, so in the Brisa, so again, in the Mishnah, you have Rabbi Yossi, the Rabbi Shimon saying, an androgynous Kohen who marries Abbas Yisrael and Tadal Soti Truma, which is Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon saying that androgynous is a man. In the Brisa, you have Rabbi Yossi saying an androgynous is Suffolk, is Suffolk. Yet, it's Rabbi Yossi by himself without Rabbi Shimon. So Rav, Rav essentially does, it's almost like, you know, forensic Brisa analysis over here. And he says, well, what happened? Rabbi Yossi went out on his own. He went out on his own. And the fact that he broke ranks with Rabbi Shimon indicates to us that ultimately, again, he's formulating a new position. So the, in Rav's view, the Mishnah represents Rabbi Yossi's old position, and the Brisa represents Rabbi Yossi's 
new position. And therefore, Rav attributes, Rav says that the Brisa is going to carry more weight than the Mishnah. Ushmul or Mashmul suggests the opposite. We'll say before we go on, a tremendous yashkach to Sayyid for, for preparing the breakfast. Mamish always taking up time to, to... I'm sorry? You know what? Eretz Yisrael Niknus be Yisurin. Right? You can't, right? So, so Mamish, if this is our Yisurin, that there's no bagels. Good. Baruch Hashem. All right, good. So the says, Ushmul or Mashmul says, Lessa lebraisa mikame masnisin. Shmuel says, Shmuel says, on the other hand, that halacha lamaisa, the, the braisa, he, he, just the opposite. Which means the Mishnah, the Mishnah is more authoritative than the braisa. Right? The Mishnah is more authoritative to the braisa. To which the Gemara says, why? We'll say on the opposite, we should say that halacha lamaisa, the Braisa should be more authoritative than the Mishnah. Why? Because Shmuel is of the opinion that Halacha Lamaisa, whenever there is a Das Yochid who is Machmir, who is more stringent, we always follow that Das Yochid. So Rabbi says, so therefore, again, remember, the, Mish, the Braisa represents a greater Chumrah, because calling the androgynous a Sapek, remember again, whenever you have Sapek, that means you have to go to Chumrah in any particular scenario. To which the Gemara says, you're right, but Hanimili kilomis akra masnisin. That's true, that ultimately Shmuel will heed a, a, a solitary opinion, a das yachid, when he's more machmir. But I both say, that's in a case where you don't have a brisa uprooting a Mishnah. Aval kimis akra masnisin lo chayish. But I both say, halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, when you have a brisa that contradicts a Mishnah, almost always the Mishnah is going to win out over the brisa. So I both say, again, I'll point out over something very interesting. We know that we actually paskin like this b'raisa. But I want to point out, it's not because we're choosing the b'raisa over the Mishnah. It's because the Mishnah is reflecting a particular view that other Mishnah is also. Remember again, there is a reason why coming into this sugya, we assumed that everyone held that an androgynous is a suffix. Why, why, why was that our preconceived notion going into this sugya? Because I will say, that's what we've seen in every single other sugya, including many Mishnayis. So right now, the Gemara is kind of making this a, a machlokis or a stira between a Braisa and the Mishnah. What's more authoritative between a Braisa and Mishnah? That's not the full picture. The full picture is you have many, many other Mishnayis that contradict our Mishnah over here and hold that an androgynous is not a Zachar, or an Akiva for that matter, androgynous is Suffolk. And I will say that is generally how we pass in Halacha, that androgynous is treated like Suffolk. So the Mar goes right to Omri Be Rav Mishmei Dirav. So let's listen to this. So they said in Be Rav, in the name of Rav, Halacha Kirabiosi Ba Androgynous Ubar Kaba. So I will say, it's not interestingly enough. So remember again, Rav's position is that Halacha Lamais, we pass in like Rabiosi in the case of androgynous. Which we will say would tell us that what? That an androgynous is a zohar, is a zohar, is a man, ubahar kava. We'll see what that case is in, in the halacha of grafting. Ushmuel, Amar Shmuel says we also follow the position of Rabbi Yossi, Bikoshi, in the case of Koshi, which is a woman bleeding as a result of labor. Again, we'll see what that case is in just a moment. Ubikidush. We'll say this is not Kiddush on Shabbos, but rather again, this refers ultimately again to Klaya Kerem, asering, asering growth in a grain field by introducing vines. Again, we'll see all these cases. Here we go. Androgynous, hadam. So we'll say androgynous, that's what we said before. That Allah Maisa, the Allah follows Rabbi Yossi, right? The Allah follows Rabbi Yossi of the Mishnah. 
namely that an androgynous is considered to be a zahar. Okay, harkava, I will say, what's the case of harkava? What's the case of grafting? So actually, it's actually very interesting. I will say, very aloha l'maysa. Visnan, ein notin ve'in mavrichin ve'in markivin erev shviyas. So I will say, now listen to this. We know on Shemitah, one is not permitted to work the land. But not only is it before on Shemitah, but even before Shemitah, Halacha Lamaisi not allowed to do certain things which will have a net effect on Shemitah. So, for example, a notin, we don't plant markivin. So, I will say markivin in this context means the process of going ahead. Here's what's interesting. If you wanted to go ahead and, let's say, plant additional grapevines. So one of the interesting ways they would do it was, you have a vine, right? The vine has its bottom in the ground, and then there's the top that flows out. What you could do is take the, pla- I don't know what the technical term is, take the, take the part on top, right? The part of the vine on top. So imagine, again, the bottom of the vine is in the ground. The vine, let's say you're holding the vine up. Take the part that's on top, bend it, plant that into the ground, allow that to take root, and then what? You cut it in the middle, and, and, and miles of love, now you have two vines, you have two vines. That's called markivin. Sorry, that's called mavrichin. Excuse me. Ve'ein markivin. I will say markivin is grafting. Grafting. Erev shvius. Pachos mishloshim yom lifnei Rosh Hashanah. You're not allowed to do any of these things within the 30 days of, of Rosh Hashanah of a Shemitah year. 30 of Shemitah year. Ve'emnata ve'hevrich ve'herkiv yakar. I will say to the point that if you perform any of these activities within 30 days before Rosh Hashanah of the Shemitah year, then what? Then Allah says, you have to uproot it. You have to uproot it. Incredible. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, so actually, says, it's actually very interesting. Rabbi Huda says, uh, now by the way, why do you have to uproot it? So Rashi says, over here, Yaakar, Tikakalta Bishviyas, Deinar Kava Koletes, Bepachas Mishloshiyom, because these are considered to be planting activities which took effect during the Shemitah year, and therefore, again, they must be undone and reversed. Okay, now watch this. So we'll say, so the first part of the Bryce says the window over here is 30 days. I'm sorry, I will say, I forgot to mention a sponsorship to Michael and Rachel Troniansky for dedicating the daf in honor of Michael's mother, Shandel Bas Mordechai Zichron Lebracha. Thank you for the sponsorship. We hope that in the merit of our Tamu Torah, the Nisham will have an aliyah and the family in the Chama. Michael, I'm sorry. Even I even put the post-it note on my Gemara, but I turned the page. All right, so it says the Gemara, says the Gemara, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, So what Rabbi Huda holds, in general, any grafting that doesn't take root within three days, will not take root in the future. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon say, no, 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 it's It's not three days, it's two weeks. So I will say, I will say, now, here's what's interesting. So the first part of the Bible gives us the time frame of 30 days. Then you have, then you have Rabbi then you have Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon saying two weeks, right? And you have Rabbi Nachman, I'm sorry, you have Rabbi Huda saying three days, and Rabbi Rabbi Shimon saying two weeks. So how does that stim? So comes Rabbi Nachman, so Rabbi Nachman, Amr Rabbi Ledivre Haomer Shloshim Tzarech Shloshim Ushlosha. So here's what's interesting. Everyone is going to agree that you need the 30 days. In other words, there needs to be a 30-day buffer, a minimum of 30-day buffer between any planting you're doing before Rosh Hashanah. The machlokis over here is Rosh Hashanah of Shemitah year. The machlokis is, do you have to add on extra time to that? So for example, the Gemara says, according to the opinion who says three days, that's Rabbi Huda, in order to plant something before Rosh Hashanah of Shemitah, you're going to have to plant 30, 
three days before. And according to the opinion who says two weeks, that's Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon, they're going to say it's the 30 days plus two weeks. And therefore, again, I will say, Rab was saying that Allah follows Rabbi Yossi in this case. Shmuel says that Allah also follows Rabbi Yossi in the case of Koshi and Kiddush. So, says, so therefore, again, so case number one where we're saying that Allah follows Rabbi Yossi is by androgynous. Namely, that what? According to Rabbi Yossi, Rab's position is like Rabbi Yossi, androgynous is a Zahar. Case number two, where he passed like Rabbi Yossi, is by Shemitah, which tells you that what? If you want to plant something before the Shemitah, before the Shemitah year, how far in advance do you have to plant it? 30 days plus an additional two weeks, right? So, so 30 days in two weeks, well, 44 days, right? 44 days before the Shemitah year is the last time that you could plant something in the ground, okay? Shmuel comes along and says, there are two more cases that we also go past like Rabbi Yossi. What are those two cases? So we'll say, what's the case of Koshi? Very interesting. This nan, so we'll say, listen to this, without getting into all the technicalities over here. The, the issue at play is as follows. A woman, we know, becomes, could become, in halacha, in halacha, there's essentially like in a 7 model, which is that for seven days, a woman is a nida. And then any bleeding after those 11 days technically makes her a zava. We know that if a woman bleeds consecutively for three days, she becomes a zava gidola, in which case, again, that she's going to require shiva seven clean days, and a whole other process. The interesting part is as follows. Let's say a woman is pregnant, and, and ultimately, again, she begins to bleed at points in time during her pregnancy. So we'll say if bleeding is a result of labor, then ultimately that bleeding is damleida, and it will not make her damleida, Blood that a woman has from childbirth has a totally separate halacha, but it does. But it, she does become a zava. So bleeding as a result ultimately of labor doesn't make her a zava, but bleeding that's not a result of labor can go ahead and make her a zava. So the Gemara deals with the following shaila, which is how how far before childbirth can you go ahead and attribute bleeding to labor? That's the shaila, and I will say it's a very important issue in halacha. Because again, if once again, if it's labor blood, then ultimately again she doesn't become a zava. If it's not labor blood, she could become a zava. So the Gemara says. So so the Gemara says kamiy kishuyah. So ultimately again, I will say kishu in this case kishuyah means her labor. So how long before childbirth can we attribute her bleeding to labor bleeding? Right, Omer Omer says o arba'im o chamishim yom. Wow. Ramir says even 40 or 50 days before childbirth, we could attribute it to, to labor bleeding. Rabbi Hudon Rehuda says, Daya a month. A month. So what was it, which is interesting. So once she gets into the ninth month, we could attribute bleeding that she has in the ninth month to labor bleeding. Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon Omrim, Ein Kishri Yoser, Mishtei Shabbosos. No, no, no. Labor bleeding is only within the two weeks prior to birth. Prior to birth, so I say, by the way, it's also interesting that you see there's this Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, right, partnership going through all of these braces as well. So therefore, again, Rav says, or Shmuel says, excuse me, that the halacha follows Rabbi Yossi in this case as well. So namely, any bleeding within two weeks prior to childbirth ultimately will be called labor bleeding, will not make her into a zava. 
but any bleeding before that ultimately can make her into a zava. What's the case of Kiddush? So we'll say, interesting, last case, what's the case of Kiddush? Let's not listen to this. Let me just go back. Basic halacha. Basic halacha of Kloya Kerem, which is you're not allowed to plant wheat and, and grapevines in close proximity to each other. And if you do, and they grow together, the combined growth is going to be Asr. Asr to the point of Asr, what do you have to do with it? Incinerate it. You have to destroy it. There's a here. There's a little bit of an interesting wrinkle in this case, which is hamesachek gafano. So I say, take a vine, take a vine, hamesachek gafano. So I take my vine and I spread it over agabe tvu aso shel chavero, and I spread it over my friend's grain. Now, he's probably not going to be my friend for too much longer, right? But 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 lamaisa, right? I go ahead and so I say, here the case over here. I take my vine, spread it over my friend's grain. So what's talacha? Hareze kiddish. I have effectively ruined his grain because now again, the combined growth of the vines and the grain creates klaya kerem. So now everything is going to be aser. Obviously, I've damaged my friend. So the grain is done, right? The grain is going to have to be destroyed because it's aser. But Lamaisa, I am chayiv now for monetary compensation. Look at Rashi. That's Rashi. And that kiddish, dikdash, aser tfuas chavero, the chayiv l'shalim. So we'll say that's talocho. I've ruined the grain of my friend, and I'm chayiv to go ahead and pay for it. I will say, watch this. Rabbi Yosef Shimon say, Amadeis, they disagree. And they say, no, the grain is not usr. So I will say, I take my vine, spread it over my friend Ruvain's grain. So the first opinion, again, the first opinion of Yosef says, the growth is now usr. You've essentially, you've essentially destroyed your friend's field. Now, halakha must have to compensate him. Rabbi Yosef Shimon say, no. The green is not usr. The green is not usr. I spread my vines over, over Ruben's green. How could it not be usr? I will say, get ready for this. Pay gimel of days. Ein adam usr davar she'en o I will say, a person can't usr something that does not belong to them. So again, the halach of Kloya Kerem says, if I take my grain and I take my wheat, I take my grain, I'm sorry, my vines, I could create a forbidden result. But Lamaisa, I have no ability to forbid something that does not bond to So we have this principle throughout halacha. I'll give you a simple example. I get into a fight with someone, into a fight with someone. And so I will say, let's say again, I'm really angry at him. And you know what? This guy, call him Ruvain, he just bought himself a beautiful brand new car. And I know how I'm going to get him. I'll go over to the car and I say, I hereby worship this car as a Zara. We'll say, it sounds crazy, but sometimes people really do terrible things, right? Because they're angry at other people, right? Now, we'll say, what's, what's my chap? What's, what's my chap? Avodazara is what? Aserbana. Aserbana. So I'm going to show I go to the driveway, prostrations, right? Sprinkling. I'm doing alazachin, right? Everything, right? I'm offering up, I'm shechting karbanas on the hood, right? Everything, everything, right? I'm going to show this guy, I'm mamish worshiping his car as Avodazara. I will say, so Ruvain comes out and Ruvain, and right, we'll say, what's that halacha? What's that halacha? It doesn't work. It doesn't, in other words, I'm chayif worshiping Avodah Zara, but Lemaisa, Lemaisa, I can't transform someone else's object into Avodah Zara, right? Why? Ein Adam Oser Davar She'en Shalom. You can't ask, which one will say, makes sense. Otherwise, can you imagine? Let's say, can you imagine what would happen if people had the ability to ask? Now, we'll say, now, I want to be clear. 
there are cases where you can ask for things that belong to other people. So I, remember, for example, if I walk into your house, I go over to your chicken soup and I pour in a gallon of milk, right? Let me see. Oh, you know, I don't know. No, no, no. So there's a, there's a difference sometimes when it comes to status versus metzias, right? So status, I can't change the status of someone else's object. If I introduce milk, into your chicken soup, there's milk in your chicken soup. Whether I had the right to do it, not the right to do it, the mice said's there. But again, in a general sense, when it comes to status changes, you can't ask for something that doesn't belong to you. And let's say, I'll tell you, there's an incredible Musar Haskil in this as well. I was saying, you know, the, the, sometimes, sometimes in life, I, I, I quoted this last night, we had a Shalashadapiomi on the other side of town. And I, I quoted this last night. Rav Cook says that the job of a person is to try to be a Balchuva. Don't try to be a Tzadik Gomer. Just be a Balchuva. Right? Don't try to be righteous. Just try to be a Balchuva. So we'll say, so it's interesting that sometimes in life we think, how could I become a Balchuva? How could I become a Balchuva? Look at all the terrible things I've done in life. Right? I've made so many mistakes, so many wrong turns. I've messed up and botched up so many things. How could I be a Baal Tshuva? And I will say the answer is in this Gemara. You wouldn't think it, but the answer is right here. Yevamas pe gimel amud beis. I will say, what's the answer? What's the opening statement of Tanya? The Baal Tanya writes that every single person has a neshama, right? And the neshama, the soul, is a chilek eloka mimaal mamish. The neshama is a piece of Hashem. It's a piece of Hashem. And the Ribbono Sha'olam retains ownership over that neshama. He entrusts it to us. What do we say this morning when we woke up? Birchaz HaTorah. Elokai, neshama shenasata bi tahorehi. Hashem, you've given me a neshama. The neshama is not mine. It's on loan. It's, on, it's, a, it's a piece. It's a chilek. It's a piece of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He gives to me. Sirabos said, listen to this. Do you want to know why tshuva is possible? Because no matter how much I mess up in life, here it is. Ein adam oser davar You can't mess up something that doesn't belong to you. You cannot go ahead and compromise something that doesn't belong to you. This is why no matter how badly I mess up in life, tshuva is always possible. Because I will say, you can mess up your goof from here until who knows where, right? And you can even mess up your emotions, you can mess up your feelings, you can mess up, you can mess up your mind. But the one thing you can't tarnish, the one thing you cannot compromise is your neshama for one simple reason. It belongs to the ribono shal olam. And ain adam oser davar she'eno shalom. And I will say, Allah Chalamai said, that's why chuva is possible. That's why change is possible. That's why second, third, and 5,000 chances, chances are possible. Because we'll at the end of the day, there's always that piece of me that remains unsullied, uncompromised, absolutely pure. Because at the end of the day, it's not mine. And in Adam Oser Davar She'en say, perhaps one of the most inspirational lines in all of Shas. Because it's this line, Rabosai, that gives us the hope that tshuva is not only possible, but it's mamish realistic and within reach. Incredible. Ibailahu. Both say back to androgynous. I don't want you to get nervous. We haven't left androgynous, right? I know people get nervous. We're back. We're back. Right? Ibailahu. The androgynous Mali. Mali Amrishmo. Both say, what did Shmuel say in the case of androgynous? How did he pass him by androgynous? So both say, so therefore, that's the list now of all cases in which he passed him like Rabbi Yossi. 
Sa'ai, what did Shmuel say when it came to androgynous? Tashma Dama Shmuel, Ravanan, Lesa Lebraisa, Mikame Masnisin. It was a Shmuel said before. Shmuel said, remember again, we had a machlokes, right? Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah said that androgynous is a zachar. Rabbi Yossi in the Braisa said androgynous is a suffix. And Shmuel came along and said that the Mishnah is more authoritative than the Braisa. So it sounds like Shmuel holds like Rabbi Yossi, but like Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah. Yemen androgynous is a zachar. Malia, so the says, Harkava Malia Mishmuel. What does Shmuel say in the case of Harkava? Right, by Shemitah. He'll say, what does he say in terms of the amount of time before Shemitah that you're not allowed to plan? Tashma Dabar Shmuel Rabbanan, Tani Kiman Damar Shlosha Ushloshim. Shmuel holds like the opinion who says 33, that's Rabbi Huda. Right, they're both saying, in order to plan before the Shemitah, you have to plant a minimum of 33 days prior to Shemitah. Koshi Mali. What did Rav say in the case of Koshi? In other words, how long before a woman gives birth could we attribute bleeding to labor bleeding? Teku, ultimately, again, that question we didn't answer. Kiddush Mali Amarav, what does Rav hold in the case of Kiddush Rabose? In other words, in the ability of someone to take their vine and spread it over their friend's grain. Does that go ahead and prohibit the grain or not? What did Rav say in that case? Amrav Yosef, Tashma, Amrav Huna, Amarav, Ein Halacha the halacha does have see, therefore, again, namely, that ultimately, again, Raf holds, Adam that if I take my vine and spread it over my friend's grain, actually, I go ahead and asser it. my is the samchis aha, samich aha. Abaye says, ultimately, again, why are you relying on this particular version? Rely on the other version. The amrav acha amrav, halacha krabiosi. So the gimmer says, amri beirav manu, who is this beirav? Ravuna, 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 Amar ein halacha. Ravuna was the one who said before that the halacha doesn't follow Rabbi Yossi. Okay, so the Gemara says, so we'll say Rabbi Huda says. So we'll say going back to the Mishnah for just a moment. So remember again in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda said, Rabbi Yehuda said, Tumtum shenikra benimtza zachar. Rabbi Yossi says now we're transitioning back to tumtum. Remember again, tumtum. There's a membrane covering the sexual organs, and we're not sure what the gender of this person is. So Rabbi Huda said, tumtum shenikra. Even if you have a tumtum, and let's say the membrane was removed. So now you can see it's a zakhar. It's a zakhar. It's a male. Lo yachlots. He still shouldn't do chalitza. Why? shuhu kisris. So I'll say this is actually very interesting. Rabbi Huda says that Allah a tumtum, even if it turns out that he's a man, is going to be a sris. Right, it's going to be sterile, and therefore halacha lemaisa, There is no din of yibum slash chalitza. Okay, so it says the Gemara. Let's analyze. It says the Gemara. Rabbi Yudavar Tumtum, Am Rabbi Ami. My obviously so listen to this. Rabbi Ami says really that a tumtum is always a sris, but my obviously Rabbi Huda, the tumtum debiri the asvua abe korsei the ikra the olid sheva benin. Listen to this. Rabbi Ami says Rabbi Huda. What are you going to do with the tumtum of Biri? Biri was a place, right? There's the famous story of the tumtum of Biri. And what happened with him? They gave him surgery. The Osiabe Kursi, they literally put him on the surgical table, right? They put him there. They opened up the membrane. They found that he was a Zachar. And Baruch Hashem, he had seven kids. Rabbi Huda, what do you say to that? To Rabbi Huda says, Amalei, Chazar Abanov. Uh, it's called 24. What is it, 24 and me? 24 and what? What's the, what's the genealogy test, right? Right? What was it? 23 and me, good. Let's say, sir, you better check the ichos. That's what I say to that, right? I don't really want to get into this too much, but those kids are not his. Those kids are not his. Okay. 
Well, you probably should investigate where the kids are actually from. So we'll say, listen to this. Rabbi Huda says, Rabbi Yosef Huda says, excuse me, Why? Because perhaps the membrane will be opened. And it turns out that it'll turn out that he's a Sris Chama, and therefore to which the Gemara says, and therefore again about say Allah Chama says no chalitza. So Atu called the Mikra Zachar Havi. I don't understand. At the end of the day, is every single um, okay? What's Rashi after us? The Gemara says Atu called the Mikra Zachar Havi. I will say it sounds like over here that we take it for granted that if you open up the membrane, you're going to find that he's a Zachar. Is every single tumtum become a Zachar? This is what it means to say. Shema yikra benimtsas in a keva. So we'll say the reason we don't want a tumtum doing chalitza is as follows. Number one, because first of all, a tumtum might be in a keva. Right? That, that's the one. We'll say, remember again, as opposed to the androgynous, who has both sets of sexual organs. And therefore, again, at least according to most opinions, we're not sure what to do with this. The tumtum is a specific gender. We just don't know what the gender of the tumtum is. So the Gemara is bothered by because it sounds like Rabbi Yisrael is saying a tumtum shouldn't do chalitza because maybe the membrane will be opened. He'll find he'll be a sris. So that makes it sound like every single tumtum is a zacher. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. What does it mean to say? Shema yikra nekeva. So we'll say issue number one. Issue number one is that maybe when you the reason we don't want the tumtum doing chalitza is because maybe number one, what's going to happen? You're going to open up the membrane and it's going to be a woman. It's going to be a woman, in which case, again, ultimately, again, there is no chalitza. There is no chalitza. That's number one. Number two, even if it turns out that it's a man, shema yimsa sris chama. Ultimately, again, perhaps it'll be a sris chama, and therefore be asr. I will say, by the way, I just want to point out, hopefully by tomorrow, we'll have time to do this, but remember again, even this discussion of sris chama, sris other. Remember again, sris chama means a person who was born like this. Sris other means a person who became like this through an injury. There's a whole machlokes. Again, which of those falls into the category of prushafcha p'tzodach? We'll come back to that. So my main I say, what's the dafkamina between these two opinions? Interestingly enough, Amarava lifsal b'makom achin. So I'll say dafkamina number one is if this tumtum did chalitza, ultimately again the impact on the other brothers. Or to do chalitza, where there are no other brothers. Rabbi say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Rabbi say, here's the case. Ruvain dies, he leaves behind three, three brothers, or right, three siblings. Ruvain, Shimon, and Tumtum. Ruvain, Shimon, and Tumtum. So we'll say, now watch this. So Reuben and Shimon, bona fide males. So the Gemara says, now what happens? So now what happens? Reuben dies, left behind the widow. And now Tumtum does Chalitza. Right? So watch this. So that says Rashi, The Rabbi Huda, Damar Shu, Kisaris, Kisris, Machzik, Labisris, Vadai, Velopasta, Ala Achin, Umisya, Vemes. So according to Rabbi Huda, who treats a Tumtum like a Vadai Sris, ultimately will say the Chalitza of Tumtum is irrelevant. It's as if it didn't happen. And therefore, again, she's subject to Yibam slash Chalitza by the other brothers. Who holds it ultimately it's a suffake, the Chalitza that a Tumtum does 
would preclude the other brothers from doing anything. That's one nafkamina. Second nafkamina says Rashi, Lachlot Let's say the only surviving sibling is Tumtum. What do you do in a case like this? So Rashi says, If there is no other brother besides Tumtum, who holds that Tumtum is a Vadaisris, there's no Chalitza. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. So we'll say, essentially, fundamental machlokes, how do we look at tumtum? According to Rabbi Yehuda, tumtum is, no matter what, the tumtum has no shaykhus tiyum and chalitza. Why? Why I say? Because remember, if it's a woman, it's a woman. No yibam no chalitza, privacy by a woman. Right? Rabbi will say, and if it's a man, it's what? Avadaisris. That's Rabbi Yossi. According to Rabbi Yehuda, on the other hand, according to Rabbi Yehuda, sorry, that's Rabbi Yehuda, sorry. According to Rabbi Yossi, on the other hand, halakha lemaisa, Tumtum is safik ish, safik isha. But lamaisa, if it's an ish, it may not be a sris. It may not be a sris. That's the fundamental machlok. It's mostly incredible. Amr Rav Shua bar Yehuda, Amr Rabbi Abba, Achud Rav Yehuda bar Zavdi, Amr Rav Yehuda, Amr Rav Adrogenis, Chayiv alav skila mishtei makomo. So we'll say, we actually, this was the end of yesterday's daf. So we'll say, if a person has, if a person has bia, a man has bia with an androgynous. So we'll say, remember again, we're going back and forth over here. So an androgynous, right, has both male and female reproductive organs. So Rav will say, here's the interesting case. So, so all of these opinions, the name of Rav, androgynous. If a man has relations with an androgynous, whether he has relations with the androgynous, right, shalokidarko, anally, or vaginally, ultimately, again, he'll be chayiv from mishkav zahar. We'll say, so again, here's what's interesting. Again, however, he has bia with the androgynous, Ultimately, again, he's going to be chayiv. Skila. Now, what do you chayiv skila for? Rabbi say this is going with the opinion that how do we look at an androgynous? As a man. As a man. So therefore, again, there's another man who has relations with the androgynous. No matter how he has relations, ultimately, he's going to, become, he's going to be chayiv for what we call mishkav zachar. Parmosexual behavior. To which the Gemara says, incredible. So the Gemara says, Meisvei, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Androgynous chayavin alav skila kizachar. So we'll say, listen to this. The Brisa says, Rabbi Eliezer says, that if you have relations with an androgynous, you're chayiv skila, like having relations with any other man. So when is that so? Bizachros. If you had relations with him, like one man has with another man. I.e. bia shalokidarko. Avabinakvus shalo. But if you have relations with the androgynous, utilizing his female by his female characteristics, potter. Ultimately, you're potter. So we'll say the Brisa contradicts what we just said before. Because in the Brisa now it says, you only chay for an androgynous if you're boil him be a shalokidarka. But if you're boil him through his nakvus, through his right, his female, his female, his female body parts, then ultimately again you're not chay. Before and you said you are chay. What's going on? Who don't rekiaitana? So we'll see the following time. The Sanya, Rabbi Simayon, Rabbi says, androgynous chayovin alov skila mishtemakomos. So I will say, again, I just want to point out something very interesting over here. This Gemara is still going in line with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah that an androgynous is a man. An androgynous is a man. And therefore, if one man were to have relations with an androgynous, that is Mishkav Zachar. That's homosexual behavior and it's punishable. The Machlokis was such, so fascinating. The Machlokis, not, not for the Shabbos day, but fascinating. Right? I will say, which, 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 is, which is, again, what type of bia with an androgynous is considered to be mishkav zachar? 
Is it only what we'll call typical Mishkav Zachar, Bia Shaloki Darka? Or no, even if you have relations with the androgynous through his female biology, that's also called Mishkav Zachar. So I will say, this is the Machlokas. Fascinating. So I will say, here we go. So Machlokas, it's Machlokas. See, here we go. My time of Rabbi Simai, what's Rabbi Simai's logic? Amra Baramduri Asabrali, the S Zachar, Lotishkav Mishkave Isha. Wow. So I will say, listen to this. So this, this is the Pazek prohibiting, prohibiting homosexual behavior, right? So the Torah says, as Zachar, I will say, by the way, I just, I feel compelled whenever we have Gemaras like this, that it's important to speak out. I will say, in life, people have all kinds of struggles. And there are some people, there are some people who struggle with being attracted to people of the same sex. It, it is, it is a real struggle. And especially if someone wants to be from and have this struggle, I just want to tell you, as having met and spoken to people who have this struggle, one cannot imagine the struggle when you have to choose essentially between companionship and life, basic life happiness and God. And that's what a lot of these individuals in the gay community have to struggle with. I will say, and by the way, it's a struggle I always say, I, I don't, to, to give up companionship Intimacy for Hakadosh Baruch Hu is 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 an overwhelming nisayon. And in general, with any nisayon, we never judge anyone based on this. So, so I just want to point out when we speak about this, we're talking about prohibited behaviors. And I will say, but in no way are we talking about people who have this struggle, and in no way condemning them for having the struggle. The, the struggle we know about say is often innate. Okay, leaving aside the nurture versus nature, we know that well, so there are people who, who are just born in certain ways. And it's so important, again, the same way that if someone has a Machal Shabbos, again, we don't stand, we don't stand in judgment. Someone has this struggle. I will say it's, it's one of, it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge in our community that we have not adequately, adequately addressed in terms of how, how, how the behavior is the behavior. And I will say, you have to be clear and unequivocal that to engage in certain, in certain practices is unequivocally usser. And I will say, and again, there, there, I, I point out, just like eating tarfus is unequivocally usser, right? Being mechal shabbos is unequivocally usser. Wearing shatnas is unequivocally usser. Homosexual behavior is unequivocally usser. There, there, there's no equivocation about that. It's usser. So I will say, but like everything in life, there's the behavior and then there's the person. There's the behavior and there's the person. And again, I will say we all engage in behaviors that we should not be engaging in. But yet we hope that HaKadosh Baruch Hu and others see the whole person. I will say it's just important. I think that sometimes, you know, we, we, we talk about this and we talk, we talk about it like so flippantly. We're having a halachic discussion over here. Not an emotional discussion, not even a discussion about people. But again, it's always important to, to understand the sensitivity and to understand the struggle. So in any event, the Gemara so is fascinating. So the Gemara is in a halachic sense. Ves Zachar. Lotishkav Mishkave Isha. Now we'll say, so this is fascinating. So here's the Pasuk that answers Mishkav Zachar. Right? The Pasuk is asking Mishkav Zachar. Of a man having lost another man. And how, how does it convey it? It conveys it as a Zachar Lotishkav Mishkave Isha. You should not sleep with another man like the way, like the ways in which a person sleeps with a woman. So I will say, so listen to this. So I will say, it sounds like that there are two ways to perform Mishkav Zachar. Right? So we'll say, you understand the diak over here? You shouldn't have relations with a man in the, like, like mishkave, 
The way it almost sounds like there's two types of relations that one could have in the context of Mishkav Zachar. I will say, how could one have two different types of relations in the context of Mishkav Zachar? Ezehu Zachar, Sheyesh Bosh Mishkavos. I will say, who is a male? What is the type of man with whom you could have two different types of acts of relations with? Incredible. Haveomer Ze Androgynous. Fascinating. This refers to androgynous. Because I will say, if one man has relations, if a man has relations with an androgynous, he can either have relations with him via Shaloki Darka, or ultimately again with the with the female biology. So I will say, so that's the raya. Ultimately, that if a man is boel, an androgynous, whether he's at boel the androgynous, mitzad zikrus or mitzad nikvus, ultimately is aser. What did Rabbanon do with this? Rabbanon afagav the ispeishnei mishkavos es zachaksiv. The Rabbanon say, you're right, even though there are two different types of relations, at the end of the day, the Pasuk says, es zohar, which indicates to us that by mishkav zohar, by homosexual behavior, the Isra is only with bia shalokidarka. And therefore, again, according to the Rabbanon, if a man were to have relations with the androgynous through her nikvos, right, through, through its nikvos, through its female characteristics, there would not be an Isra mishkav isha. The Rabbanon, zohar greida minalahu, I will say, ultimately, again, from, where did Rabbana learn just the basic Isser, ultimately, again, of Mishkav Zacher, right? Just one man with another man, Me'isha. So the Gemara says, actually, if, we'll say, if you look at the Bach, the Bach says over here, Rabbanon, in, in Osbeis, Rabbanon Zacher, Great Dominale, Me've'es Isha, Shaloki, so Me've'es Isha, from the extra Ve'es. Be'isha Shaloki Darka, Minale. I will say, how do you know that by Be'isha Shaloki Darka, Ultimately, is a valid form of bia by an isha. Ultimately, again, me v'isha. We'll say we learn it out from the elongated form of the word of v'isha. All right, we'll, say, no, we'll stop over. We'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up with. Actually, no, we have another few moments. Let's just go another few moments. Amr of Shizmi, Amr of Chista. Lo lekal Amr Rabbi Lazar. Let me actually just begin this. You know, once you start androgynous, it's hard to stop, right? So I'll say. So, so ultimately, again, so we'll say. I'm sorry. I got to Oh, it's tomorrow at the end of the... Oh, wow. Beautiful. Okay. Got it. Got it. So it says the Gemara. Amr of Elazar. So the Gemara says as follows. Amr of Shizzi, Amr of Chista. Lo lekol Amr of Eliezer, androgynous zacha ma'alihu. So what's this is very interesting. So what's that? We've now been introduced to this idea, this school of thought that says that androgynous is a zacher. So what's that? The Gemara just wants to point out, according to those opinions who hold that androgynous is a zacher, they don't hold that way for all things. So, an interesting example where androgynous is not treated like a zakhar. Why? Shimata Omer came, listen to this. Bimukdashin Yakdish. Now, I'll say, if that was true, that ultimately androgynous is always considered to be a zakhar, then if you were to be makdish, if you were to consecrate an androgynous animal, then it should work. Yet, I will say, we see that that's not the case. Watch this. We know that androgynous animal is not Kaddish. Here we go. Tatan Rabbanon. We learned, I will say the following. Hanirva. Hanirva is an animal that was sodomized. Or Muktza. An animal that was set aside for Avodah Zarah. Va'nebat. Or an animal worshipped for Avodah Zarah. Va'esnan. Or an animal, ultimately, again, that was given to a zona. A harlot as payment for her services. Umichir. Or an animal that was exchanged for a dog, vitumtum, or a tumtum animal, the androgynous, or an androgynous animal, mitamin begadim abeisablia. Ultimately, in Abosei Alocha Lamaisa, Alocha Lamaisa, in all of these cases, if, in all these cases, if they were not shechted properly and it's in a veila, right, in a veila, 
if you eat it, the moment that you begin to consume it, once it's in your throat, it has the ability to convey tumah. The Gemara says, Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, tumtum va'androgenes ein metamin begadim abes habliya. So Rabbi Eliezer says, no, it's not true. Tumtum and androgenes do not convey tumah. So Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, komokom shenemar zachar nekeba, atamotzi tumtum va'androgenes mebinem. Because we also say, ultimately, Rabbi Eliezer says, anytime the Torah uses the word zachar nekeba, we automatically exclude tumtum and androgenes. The exception will be Oath, because Oath, ultimately, again, there's no mention of Tumtum and Androgynous, and therefore, Allah Chalamaisa will So I'll say the point over here is you see that Allah Chalamaisa, just because you hold that Tumtum and Androgynous, ultimately, again, is a Zohar, let's say for our purposes over here, does not automatically mean that in every case, Tumtum and Androgynous will be treated as Zohar Vaharaya, when it comes to consecration of animals, you cannot, you cannot be makdish. Here it's being framed in the laws of Tumah. So I didn't do this, this sugya justice, but again, again, if you were to consume a, a, an invalid consecrated item or a nevela for that matter, once it's in your, once it's in your throat, it conveys Tumah to your body and to your clothing. The idea over here being that by an animal, Tumtum and androgynous, you cannot consecrate such an animal as a carbon, which shows you that what? That Allah it's not considered to be a zakhar. So even if you hold tumtum and androgynous as a zakhar, let's say by a human being, it wouldn't necessarily translate to all keys of tumtum and androgynous. All right, Rabbi Osai, now we'll really have to stop. I'm sorry, you'll have to bring two volumes tomorrow. Mr. Rabbi shpayach. All right, Chevron Zoom, everyone have a great day.